You're listening to Simply Disciples, a podcast by Deer Creek Church in Littleton, Colorado. Thank you for joining us on our first episode of Simply Disciples. This is a discipleship podcast designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. My name's Daniel. I'm pastor here at Deer Creek Church, and I'm joined by Aaron Ellis, our worship director, and Tim Ringquist, our executive pastor. You guys, uh, over a decade ago, sociologist Christian Smith did a study on the basic religious beliefs and theology of American teenagers. He interviewed thousands of teens and youth, and when he summarized his findings, Smith found that the baseline belief system of American youth could be described as moralistic, therapeutic deism. So while Christians believe that God saved sinful humanity by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, the perfect life we could not live, and to die the death that we deserve to die, most teenagers in America actually believe God is moralistic. He doesn't save people from sin because, according to their view, humans are basically good. And in the end, if people continue to be good, they go to heaven. But if they do more bad things than good things, they go to the alternative. They go to hell. So that was what Smith meant by moralistic. He also found that American teens believed that God's main purpose for their life was to be happy, to feel good about themselves. This view of life's purpose was described to Smith as therapeutic. And then lastly, while the Bible teaches that God is intimately involved in every facet of life, He's even in charge of all world events and life itself. American teens thought differently. Their baseline view of God was as a deistic God, a God who created the world, sure, but he doesn't involve himself in the affairs of regular life. He kind of stands distant from creation, looking at it from on the outside, and he doesn't act in the world as we experience the world today. But maybe the most surprising finding that Smith had was that moralistic therapeutic deism— is not just common among teens outside of the church. In fact, he found that there's really no significant difference between the baseline beliefs of those who identified as Christians and those who identified as non-Christians. So one commentator summarized this well, writing, As a nation, the theology of the Bible is running on fumes. He continued by saying, A majority of people see themselves as Christians— But these findings show they actually believe in a theology that is watered down, counterfeit faith, and looks more like the culture around them than the biblical Christianity they profess. So suffice it to say, you guys, there's a lot of confusion about what the Bible actually teaches, even among evangelicals, those people who say they value the Bible, they value theology. So given that confusion and the state of beliefs of American teens, our question today is very important. Why should we study theology. Aaron, how would you take a stab at that question? Yeah, I would say uh, the whole reason why we should be studying theology is because it's an important theme in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much of what the New Testament is surrounded by and and the aim of the New Testament is to correct good, a bad theology and to to remind the church of what good theology is. And I think about the book of Romans. And also, like I said, much of the epistles, they were devoted to the teaching that that demonstrated good theology. And Paul is teaching the theology that connects the concepts of the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
So much of the problems being addressed by the Apostle Paul, they were related to issues of bad theology and the church's lack of understanding of how mm -hmm. Jesus is the fulfillment of what is taught in the theology of the Old Testament. So when we study theology, we're seeking to be aligned with, with what all of Scripture teaches. And so, again, like I was talking about the Book of Romans, the Book of Romans is a comprehensive theology explaining what happened to the human race at the fall. So that's why, why are we guilty? And where did our guilt come from? And then what is the solution? And so the, the Apostle Paul talks about the solution being Jesus and the grace of God towards sinners. And then it talks about how are we to live in light of being rescued by the grace of God. We are to li live lives of gratitude for what he has done for us. And that's why theology is actually very practical. It's a very mm -hmm. practical practice. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to chime in with that because— um, you know, everyone is actually doing theology. We, we should maybe define the word theology to begin with. It's theo, which is God, and ology, which is the study of something. So theology is just the study of God or mm -hmm. thinking about God. And the reality is we all have thoughts about God. Even people who aren't followers of Jesus have thoughts about God. Right. And the question is whether those thoughts are accurate and true and helpful or whether they're um, inaccurate, untrue, and unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I was just yeah. thinking of, of a, a situation with, um, if you were to get a phone call and you heard from your doctor that, uh, you know, the test came back and, and the bad news is you have cancer. Mm -hmm. the, in the moment after you hear that news, what you're actually doing is theology. Mm. You're thinking thoughts about yourself, about the world, and about God. And the question is whether those uh, thoughts are actually true or not. Like, is, is the, does the, why is there sickness in the world? Well, yeah. that's a question of theology. Mm -hmm. Or is God surprised by this cancer diagnosis? Well, that's a question of theology. Yep. Or, you know, um, I'm disappointed. Is that okay? Uh, that's a question of theology. Um, all of these practical life situations play out as we think about God. And as we think about God, we're also thinking about ourselves and the world around us. And so thinking accurately about those things is vital to living your life every day. You are doing it, whether you realize it or not. And the question is whether you're doing it well. So you can say everybody's a theologian. Everybody's a theologian. Yeah, everybody has thoughts about God. Because everybody is theologizing all the time. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't root your theology in the Bible, if you're not getting your ideas from the Bible, you could obviously end up like most American youth. You, you become moralistic. You think, you know what, God just wants me to be really, really good. And if I do enough good things and that outweighs the bad things, then that's going to determine my eternity. But maybe on a more practical level, you know, to your illustration, Tim, if you start answering in the wake of the cancer diagnosis, if you start thinking about that and answering why that happened uh, in ways that the Bible doesn't outline, then you can really start wandering in your faith. When you receive that cancer diagnosis and your first thought is, well, God must be mad at me, or uh, maybe God is out of control and he doesn't have control over this situation, those can start leading in very unhelpful and very unpractical areas. Yeah, and what theology does is it gives us a framework, uh, a, a frame of reference on how to think properly on the way mm -hmm. that God actually does think and, and according to how he's revealed himself in Scripture. 
So, so for that question, if we're thinking theologically, we're saying, is God surprised? No, he's not. Right, right, he's not. Should, should, (laughs) why is this happening? Should this happen? Yes, we live in a fallen and broken world. Mm -hmm. Is this all there is? No, we have a home waiting for us in heaven with Jesus that we are going to, and the trials of this life are very real and very difficult, but we have a bigger story and a bigger picture that, that theology gives us, that understanding God, understanding the Bible gives us to help us through those really difficult, practical situations yeah, in our and, lives. Yeah, and God's not mad at you. Yep. If you believe in Jesus, then you know all of the judgment and punishment that you deserve has already been meted out on Jesus at the cross. So any trial that you're going through isn't because God's you know, somehow judging you for something wrong that you did. Instead, what he's doing is he's uh, shaping you and forming you through trial to become more like Jesus, which is apples and oranges as far as practical outcome. And maybe that helps us think about, you know, when we talk about why study theology, a lot of people have connotations of theology as something that's really ivory tower academic. So I can imagine somebody listening to us now and, the, you know, the two people listening to us now and thinking, well, isn't theology just an academic exercise? Right. I would say, no, it's not. Um, and I, I think of several examples, uh, one in, uh, well, two actually in Scripture, um, Deuteronomy 6, uh, chapter 4, this, what we call the Shema, which is just the Hebrew word for hear or listen, which says, uh, Hear, o, is- o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, right? God is God is desiring for us to engage with him and to engage our minds. I think about um, Romans 12, uh, I think it's verse 2, where he says, um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And mm. that's what the, the exercise of studying theology is. It's it's becoming aligned and um, uh, with right thinking about God according to how he's revealed himself in Scripture. And then I think about uh, the the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Standards, which are the, um, the the Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism, and the Larger Catechism, which is uh, which which are documents that we here at Deer Creek um, confess together and that we subscribe to. There are statements of belief. Yep, yep that's if you yep. want to know what we believe, that's that's where you find it. And those documents um, of theology, those were drafted not by professors from their ivory towers. No, and yeah. they weren't they were not completely mm-hmm. a, detached from the people that they ministered to. The men who worked on the Westminster Standards, were they were real, engaged church leaders. They were elders. They were preachers. They were the ones showing up to jails to pray for people in prison, the ones showing up to pray for those who were sick. And they wanted to yeah. demonstrate to the authorities and to the people of their congregation that the theology that they were teaching was in accordance with the Scripture. How many times have you been to jail? Just, you know, I'm looking across at you right now, and wow. I'm thinking, yeah, you you know this. You know this specifically, <laughs> because you've had many visits. I've had some visits. <laughs> uh, another note on that, you know, the, the catechisms were actually written for children. Children, yeah. And it's because they thought, yep. this is critical for kids to understand this from a mm-hmm. very young age, because they knew that that understanding and that knowledge would shape them for the rest of their lives. They would have things to latch onto as they go through various circumstances in life, and, and they would teach these things that sometimes seem like esoteric to us, but they knew that these were vital for children even to understand. Right. I don't know many, very many kids who would be considered academics. I don't know, maybe Daniel's kids. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not yet anyway. We're getting there. We're, we're trying. Um, you know, you, as you were talking, Aaron, it made me think you had mentioned whole books of the Bible are devoted to theological topics. I think of the Book of Romans and... 
that's probably the most highly theological book in all of the Bible. It's very systematic, comprehensive, yep. Yep, yep. so Paul begins by talking about sin and you know, the fact that we are all guilty before God and how that then relates to the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And then uh, he goes into this idea of justification of, well, if we're all sinful, how can we have a right relationship with God? And it continues on with all of these theological themes. And it makes me really think, who's Paul writing to? Paul's writing to just everyday, average people, people who went to their nine-to-five job people who had to wake up in the morning and care for kids or care for uh, an elderly parent. He's talking to just normal people, and his expectation is that not necessarily that they'd understand it all right away. They probably have to, you know, pour over his letter, meditate on his letter, think about his letter, have that letter, you know, taught by people in the church uh, that were in leadership over them, but they were just ordinary people. And actually, if you compare us today versus them then— as just ordinary Christians, we have way more academic training than they did. And yet Paul expected, hey, grow in these things. Exercise your mind in this way. Think about God in this way. Think about Jesus in this way. Here's how you live this out. So yeah, it's not just something that people with PhDs think about. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's for like you said, the home builder, the the fisherman, and it is. It's an exercise in renewing your mind. It's the, it's an exercise that God has given us mm-hmm. so that we can b- be renewed and again be in accordance with Scripture and how God thinks. Yep. You know, there's there's also I, I hear this sentiment quite a bit, and allow me to just riff here a little bit. Uh, sometimes what we want to do is we want to take theology or our mind and separate that from uh, more of a personal relationship with God. Have you guys experienced this maybe in, in conversations with folks, or maybe even thought yourself in this way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear people say stuff like, I'm more interested in a, in a personal relationship with Jesus rather than just sitting down and, and um, worrying about all this doctrine and theology stuff. Yep. What, what would you say to something like that? Yeah, and... Definitely, we we are we were advocates of a personal relationship with God. Oh yeah, right. We yeah. absolutely want that, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it is interesting when you think of any relationship that you have, knowledge is an essential part of that relationship. So, I could tell that, um, Aaron, y- you love the Anaheim Angels for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know. But I'd imagine you know something about the Anaheim Angels. It's the right? personal. It's the players. It's the players. It's the players. And, and you, not the team. Not the team. It's just the players. <laughs> just the players. The, the individual not players. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, the team has never been good. Um, but if I were to ask you questions about the Anaheim Angels, you'd be able to answer them. Yeah. Not absolutely. because you don't love or have a relationship with the Angels, but because you do. Mm-hmm. So any relationship entails knowledge. You think of your spouse. If if you were to be sitting down with your spouse and you're having a night out and, you know, say your wife said to one of you, hey, I really want to tell you a little bit about me. Here's my background. Here's where I'm coming from. Here's, you know, how I experience the world. The last thing you would say is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't tell me all that knowledge. I just want to have a personal relationship with you. Mm -hmm. 
we'd all kind of scratch our head and say, no, 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 that's that's not a real relationship. You're just kind of want an experience or an emotion. Your wife would probably walk out on, on you at dinner right then and there. Yeah, uh, rightfully so, <laughs> rightfully so. So knowledge is always intimately tied to relationship. You can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I find really interesting about this, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this if you have any, um, how do you know you have a relationship with God. You know, if somebody said, I'm not concerned about theology, I just want a personal relationship with God, my question would be, how do you know you have a relationship with God? Because, you know, people of other faith traditions, Muslims, Hindus, even secular people or spiritual people, they believe that they have a personal relationship with God. But the question is, which God do they have a relationship with? How do you know you have a personal relationship with the God of the Bible as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, apart from doing theology? I'd say, I think that's impossible. Yeah, I agree, because you, um, just to go back to your analogy, you are exactly correct. You can't, what you, what you were demonstrating. That's what Hannah says to me all the time. You, you are exactly no, correct. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think I flipped that. I think I flipped that, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I say that. Good save. Yeah, good save. that's good. Well, yeah, you, there are things that are revealed about God. That's why I'm glad you brought up the other religions of the world. There are things uh, revealed about God that he revealed about himself in Scripture that, um, that you can only know by doing biblical theology and mm-hmm. looking into his very word to, to see how he has revealed himself. So I think of, of doctrines like the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, how, how do we know about that? Well, we, we, we know about that by doing theology. Yeah, and, um, right. and, and therefore, you have an intimate relationship with God, with the triune God, because of your ability to do theology using scripture. Yeah, that's good. Tim, would you add anything to that? Even the statement that I just need a personal relationship with Jesus is a statement of theology. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. It's something that someone was told at some point as Mm -hmm. the way to think about things versus another way. Mm -hmm. And they're doing theology even if they are saying they don't need to do theology. And so it's, in a sense, self-contradictory to say that because how would you even know that? Yeah. Well, you'd say you know that because you see that in Scripture. And, okay, great, so now we're doing theology. So mm-hmm. let's do that well, and let's bring all of the resources to bear on that, not just have a simple statement that gets you out of thinking more deeply. Yeah, that's good. And I think we would all say we are advocates of we do not want people to just be brains on a stick. Right. That's not what we're advocating. Actually, yeah. what we're advocating is we want our mind filled with God's truth, filled with godly, God-honoring thoughts. And what that does is that then ignites our hearts to have right relationship with God so that we are zealous for God in the right ways. And then our wills are shaped and our actions are shaped. So it's a comprehensive view of what it looks like to follow God. And maybe as we wrap up here and just close, uh, just to summarize why study theology, you know, Again, just maybe in pithy takeaways, how would you answer that question, guys? I, I would just say you're doing theology. You're doing it. So do it well. Yep. Do it well. Be thoughtful. Um, do the work. Uh, it, it, it sometimes can feel like work, um, but that's okay. I, that hard things in uh, 
sometimes the good things in life take some work. So uh, you are doing theology. Um, you will benefit from doing theology well, so do it well. Yep. Yeah. An- another thought is God seems so deeply concerned with us knowing theology. He inspired whole books of the Bible mm-hmm. devoted to theology. And um, I just think about this, that this is because the ultimate end of studying theology, which we haven't talked much about, but um, I just think this is a, this is a, a, a vital point, because um, as you alluded to, Daniel, uh, th- it can start to feel like, oh, you just want us to be brains on a stick who just get fatter heads and fatter heads. Well, here's the thing. Theology, the whole point of theology is to lead to what we call doxology. Worship. So it, it leads to worship. It mm-hmm. leads to praise. It, um, and the proof of this is actually the end of Romans. So Paul just laid out a very lengthy, very in-depth, comprehensive theology. And then he ends it by praising God mm-hmm. at the end. So it's, it's one of those, therefore, let's worship this God that we just came in contact with so intimately through studying him through theology. So everyone does theology. God seems concerned about theology. He's devoted whole books to it. It leads to our worship. I guess the only thing I'd add is, you know, the church has always done this. The church has always done this. Uh, They've always thought about how what God reveals in the Bible relates to the world around them and making sure that we're engaging the world the right way. And as we finish off... Aaron, why don't you tell us, if you were going to say to one person, hey, I w- if one person came up to you and said, I, I want to start studying more theology, I, I want to start thinking the way that God would have me to think about him as revealed in Scripture, where would you tell that person to start? Yeah, I would actually say, as, as um, this might sound lame to some people, but in, in reality, I, I would just say the Westminster Standard. So that's the confession, the shorter and larger catechism. Doesn't sound lame to me. You, I'm, I'm crying a little bit. Wow, and, wow. Uh, you guys just and, got really excited. And, uh, <laughs> Daniel got really excited. Oh, <laughs> I fell Tim's asleep. Like, <laughs> it's great, but I fell asleep. <laughs> well, here's the thing about the Westminster uh, Confession. Um, he, here's the thing. Is, is if you're thinking about how do I grow in my understanding of theology and you start to, if, let's just say you started Googling um, books on theology or systematic theology. I'm looking at a couple here in my office. Um, one of them is 1,200 pages and it's yeah, a well-known. overwhelmed. Oh yeah, another one is actually 2,000 pages. Um, and it's like, whoa, those are massive work. They're size 72 font. Yeah. <laughs> Your theology. <laughs> Come on. Hey. So <laughs> so it's daunting and it's overwhelming and it could be totally discouraging. But and and by the way, a lot of those great works I would be happy to recommend, but sometimes the Westminster Confession can be too easily overlooked. But I do think it's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. And I would even dare to say that if you could read only one. Mm-hmm. read the Westminster Confession. And the good I, news I is that most of the copies of the Westminster Confession, um, depending on the size of font, are right around 100 pages, yeah, give or, give or take a few. And they're 32, it's accessible. 33 yep. short, concise chapters, and um, they're comprehensive summaries of what the Scriptures teach. That's great. Continue to listen to this podcast, get the Westminster Confession of Faith or Shorter Catechism, Larger Catechism, and anything on our Next Step book table really at the church would be fantastic resources. Well, uh, thank you guys. Uh, Thank you, Deer Creek, for joining us on Simply Disciples. We hope this conversation will just continue to help you think and act faithfully. Join us next time because we're going to be tackling the question, well, can we really know God? Can we really know Him? So we'll see you then.